We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 eventually. All right, this morning we're on Relationships Part 9. Relationships Part 9. And as we walk through the various relationships that we are emphasizing through Scripture, it's... uh, you could call it a topical approach to dealing with relationships. It's my belief that when you are preaching even topically, it's, it's possible to be expositional. And it's our desire to accurately relay uh, what the scriptures teach and not cherry pick and just take a verse and take it out of context and make it fit to what we're trying to do. Um, We're in this series uh, for a whole host of reasons, and I think what we'll do is we'll start with a word of prayer and come back to some foundational principles as to why we're talking about relationships, and hopefully in a way that will be helpful to everybody here in your walk with God and in your growth. It's my perception, and my perception doesn't mean that I'm uh, right in every sense, Um, but there's a burden behind this series And my particular burden is that many times we live in a broken uh, system, a broken way of life. Um, We recognize that all of us are broken to some degree. Some of us broken in ways that won't be fixed till glory. And yet there are many things that are broken in what we do and how we live that God seeks to remedy and to uh, change in the here and now. And my burden is that many times we live in these broken relationships or broken ways of living as if that's the way it is and that's the way it has to be. And you do realize that it's possible to live your life always broken. It's possible to journey all the way to the grave and live in a broken system, a broken way of approaching life, and just stay in that place. Last week, we had one Sunday, which could be really many Sundays, where we talked about relationships, specifically the marriage relationship. We dealt with Ephesians Chapter 5, which is where we're starting again today, won't be there for a moment. But what I'm convinced is that we can choose in marriage relationships and, uh, and in a relationship with God, a relationship with the church, to be in a broken place and live with the idea that that's normal. So, for instance, I'll use a family relationship. Um, You could have a family relationship where the manifestation of fatherhood in the family is angry all the time, Uh, where the predominant character is anger. Matter of fact, you can take that in any number of manifestations where that anger can be physical, and there is a lashing out in anger and and maybe a, uh, a type of physical correction that the Bible doesn't own, like a a striking of a child with, uh, 
your fist or slapping in the face and, and the unkindness of a disposition. And, and that can be the normal for what you've grown up with, but that doesn't have to live in that condition. It can live a different way if we will get to the scriptures, live in the spirit, and be guided by the word of God, be guided by the spirit. It can change the way we approach, but you can choose to stay in that manner of life all of your life. There are people who are so practiced at bitterness and unforgiveness that it becomes a manner of life all their lives. Can you live that way? Can you live that way? Yes, you can, but you don't have to. It's a, frankly, miserable way to live. And God gives a better way. And he does it through his spirit and through his word. He teaches us what Christ's likeness looks like. So we took just one Sunday to talk about the marriage relationship. But it's my admonition uh, to recognize again, you don't have to live broken. But you can die that way. You can die in that condition where you lived your life broken in that area or broken in that relationship all of your life. You can be stubborn enough to carry it to the grave. But I want to encourage you that God has a better way. Amen? Living life according to the Lord and his word can be a happy, a joyful, a fruit-filled Spirit-led life. And it doesn't mean that you won't have sorrow. It doesn't mean that you won't struggle with sin. But God's way really is best. This morning, I'm going to take a turn specifically into our relationships in church. Now, I want to be careful to say this before I begin. When you preach messages like this, it, it is prone to afterwards people leaving and saying, huh, there must be really big problems at fellowship because look at all the things that he was addressing of, of bad behavior. I want to say again, you don't have to have bad behavior present to preach what the Word of God says. You don't have to have the manifestation of the ugly to affirm what truth is. And it's our hope to build not a building after a personality or a person. And I'm thankful that I believe that fellowship is not built after a personality or a person. We believe that here we are trying and humbly trying, knowing our deficiencies, to build a ministry around the person of Jesus Christ. He is our goal. He is our aim. He is our target. He is who we worship. And so we preach the word of God to try to manifest these truths or magnify these truths that we might adopt them to ourselves so that we will be a healthy church and that we will grow. Are there things that come along in church life that are divisive? Are there things that become issues in a church where people begin to divide and separate. Let me ask it differently. Do the scriptures say anything about churches behaving? Say it differently. Does, do, do the scriptures say anything about how the church should behave? Maybe one verse or two? 
A verse or two on how we're supposed to behave. Let me ask you, do we behave well? Well, you might say sometimes. Sometimes in fun, I will see a couple leaving uh, church and I'll say, uh, Lord bless you, you behave. And then I'll say, and I mean behave well. <laughs> it's just a fun thing to, to say to each other and joke around. Um, but the truth is sometimes we don't behave well. Would you agree? So what do you do? How do you respond? Well, there are things that come up in a church life that are potentials for division. Have we had any of those recently? I'm asking across the world. Have we had any things that have been divisive to the church? What's the number one thing that's been divisive in the church in the last year? People, that's Derek's answer. You're so dark. <laughs> the issue that has been divisive for many has been what? COVID. Here's a letter from one of our missionaries. The Lord is building his church through this time of pressure and the continuing effects of the pandemic. It is encouraging to see God's working, but sometimes pain is involved. We have lost two more church members due to strong opinions about the COVID vaccination. Yet the Lord is showing himself so good through it all, as he always does. Pray for us as a church to grow through this and to learn how to love each other with differing opinions. The Lord is entrusting us with a good number of visitors in our Prayer is that we would be a spiritually healthy, safe atmosphere where we can, where they can grow in Christ-likeness. Pray especially for three other members in particular not to be affected by those who have left and they give their names. So I asked this question recently. Well, I don't remember if it was last Sunday. Let me, let me ask it again this way. I don't know if I can ask it well. It's not pre-prescribed here, so the wording of it gives some grace too, but should COVID strengthen the love of God's people that they share with each other or should it weaken it? Should COVID really be a reason that people divide? When you have two people gathered, how many opinions do you have? Probably innumerable. Wes and I joke, Wes talks politics and COVID and, and Wes came up to me talking the other day and he was talking about COVID. I said, I, I smiled and said, Wes, you keep talking about COVID, I'm gonna limp myself over there. You get tired of talking about it? And I do too, and here I am talking about it. <laughs> but I'm doing so specifically for this reason. I'm going to be talking about the church and the way we manifest ourselves, and COVID is only one issue. You see, what happens is that we can live broken in church, and you can live your life that way. I'm going to say this, and I'll say it again, but God designed the church to be a blessing. Hello? 
God designed the church to be a place that you want to come to. God designed the church to be a place, a people that you want to gather around. Because you're gathering as a group, as the called out ones, the ecclesia. You are called out as those who are united in Christ. And it's to be an uplifting joy to come together. Our Tuesday night studies have been on edification. And part of that really should be guiding how we talk and what we talk about in church because we come here to lift up the name of Christ and to build each other up. Amen? This should be a a, a great place to come to. This should be a blessing to come to. I feel sorry for people who are living church in a broken way because a broken way goes to church perhaps out of duty but goes home exhausted. Goes home spiritually dark. Somebody said this to me, I think this last week, they were talking about people that go to church and it's like, they're going to church but, but you know, it's like nice message but it didn't do anything for them. God help us not to come to this place to hear some fluffy words and go home. The word of God is meant to change us. Amen? And I hate to illustrate us like the children at camp, but we dirty ourselves up all the time. We need the continual cleansing of the word of God and the Lord. And we come together to do that. We come together to wash in the word. To lift up God. But you can live this life, this relationship broken. So some things to be understood in this discussion is that we can have false expectations about relationships. Last week, we noted that many times people will get married and be bitter with one another because they are not living to their expectations. You're not rising to my expectation. And somehow we think the married life is going to fix that emptiness in my life. That getting married is going to fix my relationship problems. (laughs) (laughs) Married life is going to magnify, not that you married a sinner, but that you are a sinner and guess what you need the Lord and I'm going to tell you with all the authority that the scriptures teach you can have a happy marriage in Christ but the same is true for the church you can live broken in church I, I want to tell you I have come to churches before I've gone to churches before especially back when I was traveling uh with a group from my college, we would come to a church. You ever been to a place and as soon as you step in, you can feel a spirit of darkness? Have you ever been there? It's an amazing thing. There are churches dying like that all over the place. But you do not have to live in a broken relationship in your church. I want to address some false expectations. Remember, God has given the church the institution, 
the administration, the organization, as a blessing to his children. So one false expectation is that you are going to come to a church someday where there are no problems. That you're going to go to a church someday where there is a gathering of people without issues. That you're going to go to a church someday that is perfect. You know the old adage, you'll never find a perfect church because as soon as you walk in, it's no longer perfect. <laughs> okay, I didn't say that. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean, I, I'm sorry. I just blew it right there. There is no perfect place because we're sinners this side of glory. Another false expectation is that I can go to a church that will always meet my need. How many people have left churches because they didn't meet my need? They weren't there for me when I needed them. I want to say something about that, okay? Are we needy? Yes. We are all of us a bucket with holes. There is no individual, there is no group of believers who can meet all of your needs because we are not designed to do so. There is only one who can meet all of your need, and his name is Jesus. I want to go to a church where they will never fail me or let me down. I grieve over this personally. How many of you suppose are in this room right now? Maybe about 270-ish. Do you have any needs? Anybody got... Anybody got Two needs? Any of you describe yourself as needy? That person? We are always going to have need, and you're always going to be facing the limitations of people. I have found people in history that leave churches without ever even communicating their need and then complaining that nobody met their need. In other words, the expectation that somehow, somehow somebody's gonna know. This is, a, this is amusing to me in some way because of its ironic nature. Someone will start feeling unimportant to a church so they'll stop attending. It's one Sunday now it's two Sundays, and now it's five Sundays, and now it's seven Sundays. And then they wonder why nobody knows that they're missing. It's ironic to me because they actually are 
missing. People don't know them. They've removed themselves. And in their isolation, have had an expectation that everybody's going to know. And it's almost like, I'm going to make you all hurt because I'm going to leave you and take my ball and go home. But people will live that way and continue to search. Now I'll go try out another church. Go try out another church. Some people leave a church because of statements like, well, I'm not being fed. Is it possible that that could be true? I'm going to tell you it's possible, but it's, in my opinion, far less likely than often claimed. It's my opinion. It's far less likely than often claimed. Most of the time when people say I'm not being fed, they have a bad relationship not only with the Lord, but they have a bad relationship with their pastor. I can tell you, I know a few pastors that step behind a pulpit and say, boy, I really hope I do a bad job today. Could it be true? Yes. I think often it's a straw man. Some people don't come to church because they live as a maverick. You know what I'm talking about? I don't need the church. Doing fine on my own. Frankly, sometimes live broken in, people live broken in the church because they're simply willing to be and live ungodly. You've heard illustrations from me before of a pastor walking his way to the pulpit down a hallway. He's going to the hallway before he's going into the auditorium to preach and he has someone pass him in the hallway and as he says good morning to them, they turn their heads to the wall, ignore him and walk by. Do you think that affects him when he steps in the pulpit? And yet, they're not willing to get right. They're not willing to address whatever issues there are. They're willing to live in that condition. Will any good ever come of that? No. But sometimes people are willing to live in that condition. Some people say, well, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the presence. Is that true? Yes. But that statement is not a context to dismantle or delegitimize the gathering of the church. In history, I've heard people say, and you guys are probably tired of this joke, but it's true. Some people say, I don't like organized religion. And I say, well, you'll love fellowship. We're not that organized. <laughs> At least until Pastor Phil, who organized everything. What are you doing? I want to say this statement again. The organization and administration of the church is God's design. The organization and administration of the church is God's design. Now, understanding the nature and limitations of other relationships, it's important to know that we're all limited people. What does that magnify? Our need of the Lord. I want to say this statement again because it's one of the heartbeats of this whole series. Learning to appreciate what is there rather than being bitter over what is not. Learning to appreciate 
what is there as opposed to being bitter over what is not. Your wife can't meet all your needs. Your husband can't meet all your needs. The church can't meet all your needs. But they are given as helps to God's people. With their limitations. The church is given as a blessing. If it isn't, we are doing it wrong. The church is given as a blessing. And if it's not, we're doing something wrong. Now, let me add a caveat caveat to that, and that is this. When that happens, sometimes people draw their lines and say, yeah, you're doing it wrong, I'm leaving. No, you're doing it wrong, don't let the the door hit you on the way out. I've heard pastors say, rot like that. Extreme carnality. Yeah, we can do it wrong. How about let's do it right? Are you with me? How many want to do church right? Are you with me? I want to do it right. You want to do it right. Let's partner together for the cause of Christ. Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. Read out loud with me this passage. Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Amen? Verse 29, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the what? Who designed the church? Is it man's great idea? Is it man's great wisdom that said, I'm going to design the church to do these things. No, it is God's business. It is God's organization. It is God's institution. Take your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. It is God that organized the administration of the church. In Acts chapter 2, we read a modeling of the early church. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I'm going to read it for us, okay? I'm going to go ahead and read verse 41 through 47. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, by the way, 
this subject today is not about membership. Understand? It's not about membership. I do want to say that the scriptures, nowhere in my mind do I see the scriptures say, thou shalt join a church. But I do see the scriptures say that God adds people to the church, and I do see indications of membership in the scriptures. Somehow they knew who they were that were the among them. Somehow there was a choosing from among them, especially in Acts chapter 6, who deacons were. There are many clues in the New Testament about membership, but that's a subject for another day. The point is that God brought these souls together through what? How did God bring these souls together? Through the gospel. How is it that you are a part of the family of God this morning? You were placed in it when you placed your faith in, in Jesus Christ. You were baptized by the Spirit into the body. He made you one of his children. John 1:12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God, even to them that what? Believe on his name. You want to become a part of a family that is the most stable family structure on the planet? Come to know Christ as your Savior. Let him be your father. But it's interesting to me that when he becomes your father, he administrates you into the body of believers. And they continued, verse 42, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So there was a teaching of the word of God. And in what? Fellowship, a companionship, a journeying together. And in breaking of bread, there's eating, praise God. And uh, by the way, I'm going to say that, yes, many times these passages are talking about communion. But I also think they're talking about fellowship around an eating table. Not just the Lord's Supper. And in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were, were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. And in breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Who is building his church? God is building his church. I'm going to tell you again a statement I'm very fond of. It's a miracle there's a church at all. It's a miracle there's a church at all. Human beings try to break what God does six ways from Sunday. Through all the excuses I gave before, by the way, I can worship God in the mountains, I can worship God in a cabin, and praise God you can. But that doesn't delegitimize the structure and organization of the church. Praise God we have Zoom. You can watch church from home, in your pajamas. <laughs> and we all praise God when we can. 
A healthy attitude of that situation is I may have to do that at home, but I want to be there. I have been a partaker of the diet of Zoom. I'm just going to say in our next business meeting, I would really like to put forward the expense of buying cameras that are slimming. Because <laughs> it isn't going to happen any other way, okay? And I got to tell you, I, I was so blessed to be able to watch and be a part of our church online. I loved it when people came down the middle aisle and they waved up. And I, I was like, who knows who they're waving at, but they're waving at me. <laughs> if you're at home, I'm waving at you. But my heart said it's a lousy substitute for being with God's people. That's what my heart said. I missed being with you. in all your germiness. <laughs> Acts chapter 20, if you'll go there. In the administration of the church, Paul is addressing here the elders of the church of Ephesus. This is Acts chapter 20. I'm going to pick up in verse 28. He's going to talk about his life, going to talk about some admonishments here, but Acts chapter 28. The point is, it is God that organized the administration of the church. Okay? So Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves, he's talking again to the elders of Ephesus. And he says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you, what? Overseers is a word that's used of a caring administration of ministry. It's a caring administration of ministry. How do you care for God's people? How do you love them? How do you help them grow? Take heed. The Lord has made you an overseer to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The, in my mind, biggest responsibility a pastor has is to open the word of God for God's people and to, with you, feast over the truths of what his word has to say. To accurately and appropriately reflect the truths that are there, not simply that we know them. Now, by the way, it's, it's a fault, I think, with much of preaching that's happening today, that there is a sense of preaching that heavies itself on the educational side. Don't get me wrong, I, this can be totally taken the wrong way. We want the accurate reflection of instruction on the word of God. Without that, everything else is a house of cards. You, you have 
to have the accurate teaching and instruction of the word of God. But there is also an imploring, a calling to a decision to be made, an application to life. There isn't simply, here's what the word of God says, go, have a great day. The word of God is meant to be given, especially under the auspice of an elder or an overseer, in a way that motivates God's people to live the word of God. In other words, it's time for some of our pastors across America to get balanced on not just being a teacher, but a motivator, an encourager, an edifier of God's people to do the word of God, to live the word of God, and not simply to walk away with, that was a really smart message. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are to feed the flock of God. And he says this is what's happened, that God has purchased those people, that church, with his own blood. For I know this, in verse 29, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch. And remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn every one night and day with tears. This last week at camp, <clears throat> I was blessed to have a gas-powered go-kart that got me everywhere. So I drove, and I think we got too many people on that cart at one time, several times, but we did. I didn't say to the people at back, in the back, there were times where I couldn't steer it because we were popping a wheelie. But there was one night, it was Thursday night, where they were down in the, what's that called, amphitorium? There were benches, amphitheater, and trees back behind it. Brother Bob Charlton was preaching, and I was parked up on the top, uh, Nora and I sitting in the cart with Joe. And Brother Bob was preaching. And Brother Bob said some things about fellowship. He said one of the pe reasons people love fellowship is because we love each other. And really, that's a manifestation of loving Christ. But here's what I thought. And I took pictures of Bob, and they're on the slide stuff. He's, he's preaching up there. And I thought, what an awesome thing to be a part of this. What an awesome thing. Because I, again, had the reflection. I told Nora, you know what a blessing it is to, to think that if I wasn't here, these people would be doing the same thing. Because Bob wasn't speaking for me. He was speaking for him. And he, he was talking about the love that you share one for another. And you were demonstrating that. And you demonstrated every time we come together. We try to love each other. When we lift up Christ, Christ draws people to himself. And in this passage, it is Christ who organizes his body 
to actually be a people who are called out and we come together to worship him. And part of the way we worship him is by, first of all, loving him, and secondly, loving each other. I'm going to give this next passage. I'm aware of the time, and I don't think it'll take long on this. But take your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. And so know this message this morning is not the only passage that we're going to give on the instruction of relationships within the church. But I want to underscore a passage that is probably one of the most famous passages about the church. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. I'm going to ask you to read these verses out loud with me. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Would you read with me? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What is the day approaching? Say it out loud, what's the day approaching? The rapture, the coming of Christ. Is it approaching? According to his word it is. Do you want to see it happen? Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Do you ever wonder about Lord's coming, what that's going to be like? When he raptures us out, is there going to be a pile of clothes? When he raptures us out, I've got more hardware that's going to be laying on the ground than I had a year ago. I got spare parts for somebody who needs them. He's coming again. Until he does, he's given us a blessing. What a shame that so many in Christianity are treating church as a burden. Oh, I gotta get up and I gotta go to church. Something's wrong with our perspective if that's where we are. And you don't have to live that way, but you can. You don't have to live broken in your relationships to church. And by the way, do I miss people when they're not here? Just like other people miss you when you're not here, yes. But we don't follow a law here. I, you guys remember those old Sunday school records? And it's still worthy of doing where you get attendance and, and, and you know, maybe there's a award if you didn't miss one Sunday in a year. That's great stuff. But really, the goal is simply to love God's people whenever they come. Nobody's keeping track of your spirituality by, oh, you missed a Sunday. Oh, you weren't there then. A healthy church just loves being together because of the bond who is Christ. This passage tells us that we are not to forsake the gathering together of God's people, the assembling of ourselves. 
as a matter of some, and what it says here is that there were some who were making that decision. So I hope I can appropriately and with love say it this way. I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you're here. But the heart's desire of God's people should be to want to come. Am I saying the truth? Am I making stuff up? If I'm getting it wrong, somebody better teach me because I'm just trying to give the admonition of the word. And I'm doing it because I, I love you. I can guarantee you there are pastors all across America today that are saying, please don't make it a habit of staying away. Please come. Please come. Please come. But no pastor wants you to come because of them. Who's a good pastor? A good pastor is going to want you to come because you love the Lord and you want to come. But in this passage, there are some things that we do when we come. We on purpose exhort one another. Exhorting is a, a combination of teaching and edification. It's a sense of helping each other to walk with the Lord, not because any of us are better than anybody else, but we need the Lord mutually. It is in this passage that he tells us in verse 23 unless I'm wrong, it's the only time in the Bible that the word provoke is given in a positive sense. Provoke is to kind of prod and stir up, to poke, to motivate, to move. And we're provoking unto love and to good works. That's what we do on purpose. You want to know how to have a great day at church? Love God, love others. We know how to have a great day at church. Love God, love others. What do you do? Love God, love others. Can you do that? Can you do that? Yes, you can. What a sad thing for people in churches today to be walking out the doors and they're mad at somebody at church. What a sad thing to be walking out the door and to be living in that broken relationship with God's people. What a sad thing. It is not what God wants. I'm gonna say it again. God gave the church to be a blessing. Perfect, it is not. Established by God, it is. It's God's organization. God's administration, and God help us to do this to the best of our ability that looks like what he's given in this book. And when we fail, and when we struggle, instead of being quick to say, you got it wrong, I'm out of here, God help us to partner together around his word, to love him, to love each other. 
So listen, folks. Church can be a healthy place. Church can be a good thing because God made it to be so. But in order for it to be so, we have to do or make some decisions about the instruction that God gives. So what decision will we make? What decision will we make? So I'll call all of us to do this this morning and we'll be done. If we're gonna make any decision today outside of if you're not saved, please come to Christ. If you wanna talk about the gospel, I'll be glad to show you how you can be saved by what God says in his word. But you and I can do, do today what you and I can decide to do today, today is to love him and love each other. Let's start there.